There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Americans and other Westerners are advised not to go to Russia. Luke Harding, a reporter for The Guardian from London, did it and ended up under constant surveillance. It involved curious young men wearing uh, cheap black leather jackets following me around the streets of Moscow. And they weren't trying to cover their tracks. Sitting next to me in restaurants. Even the home of the best-selling author who's written books critical of Vladimir Putin was invaded. We had a series of break-ins at our family apartment where I live with my wife and my two small kids. He was unaware until the British embassy had advised him about it. These were break-ins by the FSB, the Federal Security Service, that just happened all the time, particularly against Americans and, and Brits who were very, very hated. And that hatred could land you in prison, like Paul Whelan, Evan Gershkovich, and now Ksenia Karolina. Coming up on this episode, from WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. America has a target on its back, and on this program, We investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. There are few journalists that know more about Russia's FSB and GRU and its internal corruption, assassinations, and just malign intent than than Luke Harding. He's a Guardian correspondent, and he's a very successful author. He's written two books. He's written several books, including A Very Expensive Poison about the death of Alexander Litvinenko and uh, Collusion, a book about the corruption in Russia. And he's also found himself being detained by Russian authorities. And he joins us today to talk about all of that. Luke, most everyone knows that you've got a deep history in studying Russia and the Kremlin and Russian intelligence, and you've had your own run-ins with Russian intelligence as well, some of which we've read in your books. Um, But I'd like to first ask you, what are your thoughts about the death of Alexei Navalny? Um, It's it's pretty clear that that, uh, Putin murdered him. Uh, and we can say that not because we have the proof. Of course, we we don't know precisely what took place last week in a remote Arctic uh, prison camp where, where Navalny had been incarcerated ever since he he flew back to Moscow from Germany, where of course he was he was recovering, having been poisoned by agents of the FSB, the, the Putin sort of special services. But but what we do know from from previous assassinations, from the murders of critics, of other opposition people uh, from from Soviet history, is that someone of Navalny's importance, that really really the most famous, fated opposition leader inside Russia known across the world, uh, that that matters of life or death involving Navalny could only be decided by one person. And that, that person is Vladimir Putin. And of course, the other thing that that 
you have to acknowledge is timing. There's a presidential election happening in Russia next month. You have to say election in air quotes because obviously it's not a real competitive election. And one thing I know from my experience of Russia is that those guys are extremely risk averse. They are paranoid. They have long, long, long regarded Navalny as a, not just as an irritant, but a threat. And his his death, I would say his murder on the eve of an election, of course, I think is really Kremlin housekeeping, unfortunately, of, of, of the most terrible and sinister kind. Yeah. Your books, um, A Very Expensive Poison, Collusion, you talk about the way, you write about the way in which uh, Russian intelligence goes about these kinds of murders or alleged murders in this case. Can you maybe speculate a bit about what could possibly have happened to Navalny? Well, I mean, I think you have to sort of put yourself in in uh, Vladimir Putin's sort of strange, dark mental world uh, and look at how he sees, sees things, not just him, but the circle around him of basically former KGB operatives, although, of course, there's no former uh, in the KGB. They see themselves as waging uh, an eternal war against the West in general and against America in particular. Uh, and they have their own kind of internal code. There are kind of enemies. There are foreign spies. There's Joe Biden. There's there's you and me. But but they reserve their special hatred for for Russians, whom they regard as traitors. Uh, and that's anyone who's worked at the American embassy. Anyone who has criticised uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, uh, people who um, don't support. Uh, the, the regime and its politics, and in particular for, for kind of opposition leaders. And so so Navalny was regarded as a, not just as a traitor, but as a kind of arch traitor. So I, I've I've long feared that this would happen, that he would be killed. We, we have seen this happen with so many other people. I wrote a whole book, as you mentioned, A Very Expensive Poison, about Alexander Livinenko, who was a, a former FSB officer turned dissident critic of Vladimir Putin, murdered uh, in 2006 in a special operation with a radioactive cup of tea in central London, practically under the noses of the CIA. The, the American embassy was just across the square. Um, and the, these murders are sometimes sort of silent. You don't see the Kremlin's hand or it's sort of, it, it's, it's glove and a fist. And sometimes they are loud, splashy, theatrical, in your face, demonstrative so that there's a spectrum but but the fact is that russia has a series of assassins trained field operatives who work inside russia who murder people across europe and sometimes even do special operations in the united states that is the thing that i wanted to ask next um mikhail lesson um dan rapaport um we have no proof according to law enforcement that either of them were killed. Um, it seems to be suicides. Um, but there is a boatload of people, um, some law enforcement, some intelligence, some journalists like us, who suspect that there may have been some kind of Russian intelligence hand in this. Um, do you get the sense that uh, they have a significant capability inside the United States and other places like London, your home? I mean, I mean that that's a very good question. I mean, my, my sense, for what it's worth, is that they um, 
of course, they can do special operations in, in the US. They can bribe politicians. They, they can help Donald Trump win the election in 2016. I mean, we know all about this. We, we, we've, we've, we've had Mueller. We've had four years uh, of, of allegations, counter-allegations, allegations, and we ended up with a, with a really interesting intelligence document, bipartisan document by the Senate Intelligence Committee um, looking at compromise, looking at Russian agents of influence. So, so clearly it's, it's, it's a field where, where Russian espionage takes place. In terms of murdering people, um, I think it can happen. I, I, I think Mikhail Lesson is a question mark. He may well have been killed in the center of D.C. by, by, by uh, Russian assassins, but obviously it, it's very hard to prove that. Certainly in my town in London, there, there have been numerous cases. I mean, Litvinenko, I mentioned, also Sergei Skripal, targeted by two assassins from the GRU, that's, that's Russian military intelligence, with Novichok, this lethal nerve agent. That, that was an enormous um, scandal of, a, a few years ago. But even lesser known cases, I mean, you, you mentioned suicide. You remember Boris Berezovsky, the Russian oligarch, who was found dead in 2012 in his ex-wife's house, coroner, uh, that's investigator recorded an open verdict, but a lesser known case, which I was personally involved in, one of Berezovsky's close friends was called Nikolai Glushkov, who five years later was murdered at his home where he lived alone in the west of London by an unknown assailant who um, tried to make it look like suicide, sort of strung him up with a dog lead. Um, and of course, he'd been murdered. So um, these things happen and the trail clearly goes, the bloody trail goes all the way back to Moscow. Yeah. And you know, folks, Luke is not speaking about this based on uh, just research for a book or for reporting. He's had personal experience, right, Luke? Um, I can recall reading one of your books where you were in Russia and you spent some time, I believe it was in the Fortobo. Um, uh, but before that, there were these moments where you would come home and find certain things on the floor in your house. <laughs> or, yeah. Or... yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you're right. I mean, I, t I had four years in Moscow as the Guardian's bureau chief between 2007 and 2011. And it was a bit like being in a really badly written, badly directed, badly acted spy thriller. Yeah, I mean, not 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 Netflix. Much worse than Netflix or HBO. I mean, it was really terrible, and it involved um, curious young men wearing uh, cheap black leather jackets, following me around the streets of Moscow, sitting next to me in restaurants. Uh, we had a series of break-ins at our family apartment where I lived with my wife and my two small kids, yeah. and we we were basically advised by the British Embassy because I, I didn't know what was going on that these were break-ins by the FSB, the Federal Security Service. Uh, that um, that this happened all the time, particularly against Americans and, and Brits, who were very very hated, uh, e even you know a decade ago back in back in Putin's Moscow. Um, and on one occasion, as you say, I was called by the FSB, told I was being interrogated in connection with an article I had written about the oligarch, Russian oligarch Boris Berezovsky, who was a big Putin critic at that time. Uh, and I went to Lafortova, and it was one of the most strange moments of my life going to this KGB detention center, which is famous for, for its prison, for, for, for high-profile VIP prisoners, where Evan Gershkovitz, the Wall Street Journal reporter, has, has been held for a year downstairs. I was upstairs in the detention suite, yeah. uh, walking down this kind of gloomy corridor with, with like 1960s-style cameras following my every movement and interrogated by this kind of bland, young, 
FSB kernel. Um, and clearly, the, the, the episode was supposed to kind of intimidate me uh, and, and spook me. Um, and my Moscow career ended <clears throat> about three years later after, after on-off harassment for a very long time, phone calls intercepted, strange stuff going on, yeah. when I was deported out of Moscow in, in 2011. Now, now, since then, things have got worse and, and really? meaningful journalism in Russia has practically ceased. But, but what's interesting is that what Putin is doing both in his international operations and domestically is the Soviet playbook. So, so these break-ins, the bugging of my apartment, it's all very, very Soviet. So the ideology has changed. Communism, communism has gone. You know, some people thought the Cold War was over. But those techniques of harassment, of subversion, of intimidation, of sometimes murder continue. Yeah. Two more quick questions and I'll let you go. Luke, thank you so much for sharing that story. Um, you now, where do we go f from where we are now? Because there is deep concern for Vladimir Karamurza and other Russian opposition figures that are in prison now in in Russia. Um, you know, especially after in, in the piece that you wrote the other day regarding the helicopter pilot in 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 Spain, um, uh, Maxim Kuzminov who turned up dead in Spain, there's deep concern for Karamurza and others. What's next? What are you, what's your view on what we should expect and maybe what the world's leaders should do? Yeah, it's, it, it's a great question. I mean, I know Vladimir Karamurza. I've, I've met his, his, his wonderful wife, Evgenia, who, yes. who lives, lives in Virginia and has been incredibly active campaigning for her husband's release. Um, uh, it, it, these are grim times for Russia's opposition for for decent people everywhere who who um, are revolted by by Putin and his regime. Um, the, the 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 blunt terrible fact is that if you're in a Russian jail, I'm afraid you can be killed at any time. The authorities can kill you at any time, and and it, it's a, a, again with high profile people, it's it's Putin who would decide that, but but. Their lives are hanging by a thread. I wrote this about Alexei Navalny a year ago, that his life was hanging by a thread. And one morning, for, for whatever reason, Putin decided to snap that thread. Um, so it can happen with others. In, in terms of what the West can do, there's a, there's a very clear and direct answer. The, the answer is give weapons to Ukraine. Give everything to Ukraine. Give them tanks. Give them attackums. Give them long-range missiles. Give them ammunition. Give them a navy, give them the capacity to defeat Russia. Because the arguments the Ukrainians make, and I'm, I'm speaking to you from Kiev, is, is completely persuasive. That, that Putin is not interested in diplomacy. He's not interested in negotiation. He's not interested in, in summits with America, with Joe Biden, with Donald Trump, whoever. He understands power, actually, and force, and the application of force. And, and so the best way to defeat him is to defeat him on the battlefield. Um, and I find it extraordinary um, and dismaying that, that there are people in, in America, powerful people in the House and, and some in the Senate who don't understand this, that, that, that um, this is not just a faraway problem. This is everyone's problem, including uh, especially the US's problem, because if yeah. Ukraine falls, next will come the Baltic states, then Poland, then somewhere else. Putin feels he is, he's in an existential struggle with America, the, the, the big and great enemy. And he is having lost the Cold War, perhaps. I mean, you could make a case of that. He, he, he believes this is a rematch, which he's going to win. 
Uh, and the biggest thing that helps him is American division and weakness. So, so really, the corollary of all that is is help Ukraine, arm the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians are not asking for American troops. They're just asking for weapons. And if it were an equal fight between Ukraine and Russia, um, Ukraine would, would, would definitely win. The problem is at the moment, it's a disequal fight, and the Russians are using their size, their, their war economy, the fact that they can sacrifice half a million guys and there is no public outrage to, to grind out slowly but surely some kind of victory here. Yeah. Final thing, um, Paul Whelan, he called me from his Russian prison cell on Christmas Eve of 2023, and he had a very desperate message to President Biden and people in the United States. And he said, please don't forget me, because he said, I feel like you've left me twice, Mr. President. This, these are words that he said directly for the president, not to the president, but for, you know, on my broadcast to get to the president, which I do believe they they heard his staff said. But he said, I, I believe that Russia is working on a plan which will end up in me being left behind a third time. He's talking about the Brittany Griner and Trevor Reed exchanges. Um, you know, he's been there since 2018. And one of the things that he said to me during our several conversations was that he's worried that he might die in in that prison um, that, where he is um, because of what he calls capos, the people who work in these prisons, that inf the enforcers, um, some of which are basically working for the Russian government. He's concerned about that um, fate befalling him. Um, can you address the, the likelihood of that? Uh, I, I mean, it, it's very hard to say. I mean, Paul is obviously a kind of US citizen. I, I feel terribly for him. Uh, I think it's um, he's in a nightmare and he's in a nightmare, which, as he says, has dragged on for several years. Um, and the, 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 the problem, the, the sort of big problem is that let's say in the best case scenario, Paul is swapped and he's swapped soon. There's some kind of deal. He gets out, he's he's free and is reunited with his family. I mean, I very much hope that that happens, that the, the Putin regime will take out the hostages. They, they just yesterday arrested a Russian-American woman, a woman with American citizenship, American passport, who was living in LA, flew back to see her parents and had donated to, to Ukraine and is now arrested and is obviously looking again at crazy treason charges of 10, 12, 15 years in jail. Yeah. Uh, there, there is an American journalist working for Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. There's Evan, Evan Gershkovitz. And so in a way, you, you, know, you get one hostage, you, you, you kidnap a civilian, you then trade them for a spy or a criminal like Victor Boot, uh, and then you, you kidnap someone else. And so it go goes on. It, become, it becomes a forever game and we are in a in a place of kidnapping so so i would just say two things one is i really hope paul is released soon and the other is if you have an american passport do not go to russia very clear under any circumstances do not go because you could quickly find yourself a pawn in a, in a, in a big and terrible game yeah anything you want would like to add that you think is important before we finish our conversation today I mean, just one thing, which is that I go to the front line in Ukraine a lot. I spend time talking to Ukrainian soldiers, service personnel fighting in 
snowy trenches. I mean, I mean, the, the, the war close-up looks like a mixture between the First World War, w- which we all know from movies, and some kind of high-tech war involving drones being flown by, by kids who are very, very good at video games, but with, with deadly results, where both sides are kind of blowing up tanks, armored vehicles, and, and, and so on. And I've met a lot of very brave people. They do not understand American politics, that they are fighting... Um, they're fighting for, 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 for their families, for their kids, for their country. They are, it's an existential war. I mean, Ukraine either prevails or it disappears as, as a state, as a, as a people, as a country, as a culture, as an entity. They're, they're, they're watching what happens in Capitol Hill. And they, 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 they ask me, you know, why, why, are, why are some powerful American politicians blocking it? I've got no good answer. But I, all I would say is that I would urge those people who think that Ukraine is not America's problem, maybe come here and see for yourself and see how brave and how extraordinary some of the people fighting are. Uh, and maybe if they came, they would change their mind. Luke, it's a great pleasure to have uh, had a chance to speak to you today. Thank you for uh, what you're doing. Thank you for sharing these very, very important thoughts with us today. And I hope you remain safe there and, of course, continue to educate the world with these wonderful books and these these articles that you do for The Guardian every day. Thank you. I really enjoyed our our conversation, and it's very very good to talk about um, these important themes. So thank you, and thank you for what you do, too. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Alexei Navalny. I think almost certainly he was assassinated, uh, poisoned in some way. Uh, The fact that they won't give up the body until now um, tells me that the Russians are afraid they're going to find some traces of poison in him. I spent enough time in the former Soviet Union that that the whole idea of political murder and criminal murder, it's much worse than the Italian mob. Former CIA operative Robert Bayer says he was very active behind the Iron Curtain and went to many funerals of Russians who died under mysterious circumstances. But the case of Alexei Navalny is very different. Oh, it was approved by Putin. There's no other way it could happen. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.